semester, we're looking at the life of Daniel. Um, and when we first meet Daniel, as we do here in chapter 1, we meet him as a college student at what you could call Babylon U. He's there, right, uh, for three years, at the end of which he's going to take a final exam. Thumbs up or thumbs down. At college was not an easy time for Daniel. Um, it was a new place, lots of new people, right? a, a, a new culture. Uh, and it was filled with lots of challenges, challenges that you, no doubt you are familiar with, being a student here at the University of Vermont. Uh, last week we talked a lot about identity and the importance of self-discovery and the places that you can turn to find it. You can look out, you can look in, uh, you can look on. This week I want to talk to you about resolutions. I'm not talking about your New Year's resolutions. Odds are if you made them, uh, you quit them two weeks ago. Um, I'm talking about something that is much bigger and deeper uh, and significant than that. You see, knowingly or unknowingly, everyone in this room is resolved to something or someone. Knowingly or unknowingly, everyone in this room is committed to something or someone, and that commitment or that resolution, it informs just about every single decision that you make. Not every. Probably doesn't inform, like, am I going to eat Cocoa Puffs or Lucky Charms today? But it informs a lot of them. Some of you are resolved uh, to feel happy all the time, no matter what. That is your resolution. Some of you are resolved to never feel lonely. Some of you are resolved to be rich. Some of you are resolved to be famous. Some of you are resolved to change the world, whatever that means. What was Daniel resolved to what was the deep, like the reverberating yes in his life? As we look at this text, uh, we see that in college, Daniel was willing to go to the classes. He was willing to learn the language uh, and the literature of the Chaldeans, right, of the Babylonians. He was willing to take the job and do the internships. He was even willing to let the powers that be give him a new name. Daniel was willing to endure all of this. But if you look at the text, if you look at verse 8, he refused to eat the king's food or drink the king's wine. Why? Why did he make this resolution? Like, why was that so important to him? There are three popular uh, interpretations. Uh, some say Daniel refused the food because it went against Jewish food laws. Um, there are several food laws in the Old Testament, clean, unclean uh, laws. But the thing about it is there is no prohibition in the Old Testament laws against drinking wine. And later in his life, Daniel is actually okay with eating some of the king's food. So if this were the reason why he's refusing it, uh, it doesn't make much sense why he would accept it later. Okay, that explanation doesn't really fit. Other people say that Daniel refused the king's food and wine because it had been offered up to idols. But in all likelihood, so would any grain or vegetables, right? That would have been offered up to idols too. So that explanation doesn't seem to make much sense. The third uh, interpretation, and in my estimation, the, the best explanation, 
is that Daniel and his friends, right? Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah, they knew themselves well enough to know that if they go down this road, if they start whining and dining with the cool, rich kids, it's going to be hard for them to stop. If they go down this road and they start doing this, it's going to be hard for them to stop. A pastor I really respect and trust, a man named Sinclair Ferguson, writes this, and I think he gets it really right. Here's what he says, and I quote, Perhaps what Daniel perceived correctly in this food allotment was an effort to seduce him into the lifestyle of a Babylonian through the enjoyment of pleasure he had never known before. The good life that Daniel was offered was intended by the king to wean him away from the hard life to which God had called him. It would encourage him to focus on himself and on a life of enjoyment. No mention is made of Daniel being confronted with an apologetic for Babylonian theology or with intellectual arguments against Old Testament faith. The attack was far more subtle than that and therefore potentially far more lethal. Somebody, this is the best, this is the best line. Somebody in Nebuchadnezzar's palace knew enough about the human heart to see that most men have their price and that good times, comfort, self-esteem, and a position in society are usually a sufficient bid for a soul. I'm going to read that last line one more time. Somebody in Nebuchadnezzar's palace knew enough about the human heart to see that most men have their price and that good times, comfort, self-esteem, and a position in society are usually a sufficient bid for a person's soul. You see, Daniel in college was resolved to holiness. He was resolved to know God and to love God no matter what. When he went to college, he didn't want to be a chameleon. He didn't want to just blend in. And he didn't want to be a musk ox either, just kind of huddling up and hanging with his tribe. He wanted to be salt and light. But he didn't want to lose his saltiness. And he didn't want to just huddle up with his buddies either. He knew that God wanted him to be salt and light, deeply immersed in the campus and the life and the culture of the campus, but different and unique at critical points too. Right? To be in it, but not of it. To be different for goodness sake. Daniel knew that the biggest threat to his resolution to know God and love God, the biggest threat to that was not going to be faced in the classroom. It's why he had no problem studying the lit and the language of the, the Babylonians. He knew that he could take in the good. He could learn. Right? All truth is God's truth. Right? He can go to the Babylonian classes and learn a lot there and sift through it and take what's good and sort of filter out what's bad. All I to say is the biggest threat, if you're a Christian, uh, the biggest threat to you at UVM is not in the classroom. It's not something... A teacher may or may not say it's not some dig against Christianity. You know, uh, Christianity is not a, it's not anti-intellectual, and it's not a dummy religion. Um, some of the best and brightest minds in the world, past and present, are, are have been Christians, and I know that's more of an assertion than an argument, but trust me, right? Like you can do the homework; it's no secret. Um, Christianity makes a whole lot of sense, and it can stand up to a whole lot of scrutiny. 
Daniel knew this. He wasn't threatened by the classes. He knew that the biggest threat to his faith was not going to be in the classroom. It was going to be outside of it. The food and wine that Daniel was served was not just dinner and drink. It was a lifestyle. They were dangling a lifestyle in front of him, a rich, luxury, loving lifestyle. And Daniel, in a sense, um, Keller puts it this way, Tim Keller, Daniel, in a sense, was willing to go to Harvard, but he was not going to go to the yachting club and dine at $150 a person at fine restaurants. I'll go to Harvard. I'm just not going to do that. He knew there was nothing intrinsically sinful about tasting the king's food, but he realized it would tempt him to get sucked into the idolatrous love of money, status, beauty, material, luxury, and power, and he didn't want to lose his heart to that view of life. You know, the same tug or pull away from God, right, the resolution to be holy and faithful, it exists here too, right? The temptation to say, F it. I'm just going to do whatever makes me feel good, whatever makes me happy. That exists here too. You probably don't feel it in the college cafeteria, right? You don't feel that tug to just say, I'm going to do what makes me feel good, what makes me feel happy at the Harris Millis Dining Hall, right? You've told me, I know, <laughs> right? <laughs> but you probably feel it at the frat house. You probably feel it at the bar downtown. You probably feel it at the house party. You probably feel it on the, in, in the, the hall of your dorm. Before it was too late, Daniel knew when to say no. And as a mentor of mine used to tell me, at the critical moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is over. At those critical moments of choice, most of the business of choosing is over. Daniel knew this. I wonder, do you? As many of you know, um, I went to the University of Colorado at Boulder. Uh, and my freshman year uh, at CU was extremely hard. Weeks before school started, um, I learned uh, that my parents were going to separate uh, and get divorced after 20 years of marriage. Um, at CU, I grew up in Virginia, so at being in Colorado, uh, I was far from home, which is what I wanted. I, I wanted college to be a fresh start for me. Kind of, I wanted to start that chapter of my life with a clean slate. But being far from home meant I had little direction or guidance from my family and had very little accountability in my life. Um, I was angry at my parents. Uh, and even though I was surrounded by thousands of other college students, I felt very alone. And I dealt with my anger and I dealt with my feelings of aloneness in very uh, negative and self-destructive ways. So that when my uh, first semester of college ended, I was really depressed. And I was wondering, what am I doing at CU? Like, is this the right college for me? Uh, what am I doing with my life? And that winter break might have been 
the worst break uh, of my entire time uh, at college. It's just bad. Um, at the start of my second semester uh, of my freshman year, the dad of a friend of mine invited me to go to a Christian conference in Denver. And somewhat shocked, like to my own shock and surprise even now, uh, I said yes. Um, that was not something I would have normally said yes to. I mean, when I went to college, I wanted really nothing to do with Christianity. But I said, sure, why not? And uh, again, to my own shock and surprise, the conference was actually pretty good. Um, I left that conference uh, interested. Um, Jesus seemed to me uh, beautiful and believable in a way that he hadn't before the conference. And I guess you, like, you could say a little seed was planted uh, there. But when I got back to the CU, when I got back to the campus, that little seed that was planted quickly died. Uh, I had no Christian community to go back to. I had no Christian friends around me. I was surrounded by people smoking pot, having sex, and getting obliterated just every weekend. And I was doing a lot of that same stuff too. The chances of someone growing in their faith, or for some of you keeping the faith, right, not losing your saltiness in those kinds of conditions, with no Christian friends or community, I mean, the chances of you doing that is just about zero. It's just about zero. Daniel knew that. And which is why he said no to the food and to the wine. That's why he said, not for me, not right now. You know, as he grew older and as his faith matured, he would be able to enter into some of those situations and the temptation, the tug of, the, you know, of those things wouldn't be as strong in his life. But as a young, impressionable college student, he knew he wasn't ready, that he wasn't strong enough. And I wonder if you have the same sort of self-awareness. Do you know that about yourself? Several, several years after college, I was presented with the gospel uh, another time. This time, uh, I was presented it in Africa. Um, another seed was planted. And that really is the seed that has taken root in my life and, and has grown, right? Uh, it's who I am today. Here's why it survived, whereas the other one didn't. When I returned to the States, I was returning to the same sort of environment I had left when I went to Africa. Uh, I was still neck deep in a, a party hookup culture, and, um, and that is what I returned to. But there came a point when I realized that if I was going to be resolved to Jesus, if I was going to say yes to him, there were a few things that I was just going to have to say no to. There were some parties that I had to say, I'm sorry, I just can't go to that one. There were some friends that I had to say, I'm sorry, I'm not going to hang out with you tonight. There were some places that I had to say, I'm sorry, I'm not ready to be back in that kind of environment right now. Now, I can go to a bar and have a, a drink with Matt, and that's not... Um, Matt, the grad student, <laughs> that's not a problem for me right now, but it was for me then. 
the temptations then at that stage in my life were too strong and it was just too difficult. And so I had to say no. And I'm really glad that God gave me the grace to say no. Because if he hadn't, the things that mean the most to me in my life right now, being married to Megan, being Willa's dad, working at this university, knowing you and knowing Jesus, I wouldn't have any of it if he hadn't given me the grace to say no. Y'all, there's tension here. Not in this room so much. Hopefully not. But tension here on this campus. Right? Jesus wants you very much to be a part of this community. The RUF community, but the UVM community. He wants you very much to be a part of this campus and its culture. He wants you to be in it. And that means saying yes to many, many things. But he wants you to be in it, but not of it. And that means there are times when you need to say no to certain things. I don't know what it is for you. At the University of Vermont, what is the biggest thing? Like, what is the biggest tug or pull that would pull you away from Jesus? Is it marijuana? Is it alcohol? Is it sex? Is it shopping? Is it spending too much time on social media? What is it for you? Daniel knew what he had to say no to you. But do you? What are you resolved to? Not only does this text tonight show us what Daniel is resolved to and what that meant and cost him, I also want you to pay attention to how he made his decisions. Not just what he decided, but how he went about it. Because this is just as important. Okay? When we take a stand on an issue, it's very easy for us to become crusaders, right, for that particular cause or that issue, whatever it may be. Take alcohol, for example, okay? There is responsible drinking and there is irresponsible drinking. But just because perhaps maybe you can't drink responsibly doesn't mean that alcohol is evil. Just because you can't do it responsibly doesn't make alcohol evil. And just because... Um, well, we do this sometimes, right? We'll say, well, if I can't drink, well, then nobody should drink. And we kind of strike that kind of attitude, which is wrong. We take a personal issue and we make it universal. We get on our soapboxes and we get on social media and we boast about our decision and instruct others to do just as we have done, not knowing what they're going through, right? We become preoccupied with this thing that we've rejected, and ironically, we said no to it so we could focus on God. But now that thing can quickly become our obsession, right? It becomes our, our pet project, as it were. And God fades into the background. And that decision, which ought to have humbled you and made you more dependent on God, can now become a source of pride. And we think to ourselves, well, I'm a good person. And I'm a real serious Christian. I have the courage to make tough decisions. What's wrong with all these other people? Why don't they get serious like me? Does that sound familiar? Have you ever thought that way? It's in you, 
right? Like that attitude is there. Here again, all right, Daniel is so helpful and instructive. What's awesome about Daniel is not simply that he was resolved to God and said no to things he needed to say no to. Just as awesome is the way he went about it. Look at verses 8 and 9. It's not up here. It's on your piece of paper. I'll read it out loud. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Okay, and the chief is reluctant, right? He says, what if you suffer for it? Then the king's going to notice. And then it's not your head, but mine, right? So he's a little bit hesitant. He's like, I don't know how I feel about this. And Daniel says to him in verse 12, please, just, just test it out. Just test it out. If it doesn't work after 10 days, fine. Do as you please. But if it does work, right, if it does work out, well, we both win. See, Daniel was resolved to the Lord. He was willing to say, certain, say no to certain things, especially if those things stood in the way or were going to interfere with his relationship to God. But when he does abstain from things, when he does say no, he's humble about it. He's not brash. He's not harsh. He's not proud. He's not embarrassing people. He's not making a show. It's really quiet and kind of behind the scenes, honestly. He's humble and he's respectful. Let me quote Sinclair Ferguson one more time. He says, There's something Christ-like about such a spirit that Daniel exemplifies. We don't need to be either, uh, either tactless or obnoxious to be faithful to God. Indeed, Daniel illustrates the principle that true faithfulness is seen not only in our determination to stand firm, but in the way we stand firm and the spirit in which we do so. You know, if you are going to be salt and light here at the University of Vermont, if you are going to be different for goodness sake, that means that there are going to be times when you stand out where you really are outstanding, right? But you will stand out. There will be times where everybody seems to be going this way, and you're like, I'm going to go this way. When everybody is going this way, and you go this way, can you do it in a way that is gracious, and uh, doesn't make, feel, make people feel ugly uh, or embarrassed. Can you, when everybody is going this way and you decide, I'm going to do this way, can you do it um, without making a scene? Can you do it quietly? In some ways, can you say no to the sin uh, and yes to the sinner at the same time. Can you say to your friends, look, I'm not going to go out with you tonight, but I love you and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Do you know how to talk to people that way? Look, I'm not going to do that tonight, but I love you and I look forward to seeing you tomorrow. 
I believe that's possible. Daniel shows us it's possible. Look, remember, it's not just about standing firm. It's standing firm with modesty, grace, kindness, love. Right? That's what truly pleases God. Not just your stance, but how you take it. There's one more thing I want you to look at, and it's this. So far, we've talked about the resolution. And we've talked about how he's gone about it. But I want you to see, in some ways, what really helped him, or maybe was the why behind it. Because it's not just Daniel who's making resolutions here. He's not the only one who's resolved in this passage. God is also resolved to Daniel. Daniel's committed to God, but God is also 100% committed to him. And he is 100% committed to you. In Isaiah, in Isaiah 39, right, it's, it's a book of the Bible, two or three books of the Bible before you read Daniel. Um, there was this prophet named Isaiah, and he lived at the time before Israel was taken into exile. Okay, so before this happened. But in chapter 39, he, it, chapter 39 describes a scene where Hezekiah, who was the king of, of Judah at the time, king of the southern kingdom, he is visited by an envoy from Babylon. And he takes this envoy into the vault, right? Into the treasury room. And in his pride, he's like, you got to look at just how rich and powerful I am and we are. And Isaiah is incredulous. He's like, what were you thinking? What have you done? And he says... Hear the word of the Lord of hosts. Behold, the days are coming when all that is in your house and all that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left. And some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away from you, and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the kings of Babylon. I.e. Daniel. Okay, that's how chapter 39 ends. But hear what God says two chapters later in chapter 41 but you Israel my servant Jacob whom I have chosen the offspring of Abraham my friend whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corners saying to you you are my servant I have chosen you and not cast you off fear not for I am with you be not dismayed for I am your God I will strengthen you I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Daniel is resolved to God, my friends, but God is resolved to Daniel. Before going to college, Daniel studied the Old Testament. He knew all about Isaiah. He had read chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 38, 39, 40, 41. He knew these words. He knew what was written there. Which is why when he went to college, he knew that no matter what, God still loved him and would remain faithful to him. No matter what happened there, God loved him and would remain faithful to him. And that assurance, friends, the assurance of God's yes to him made it much easier for Daniel to say yes in return. Yes to God and no to certain other things. 
cross because God had done that to him. Do you all know this? Do you know yourself? Do you know this campus and the places where you are being tugged, pulled away from a relationship with Jesus? Do you know that? What are you committed to? How do you go about your resolutions? Do you know God's faithfulness to you? I pray you will. And I'll pray that right now. Okay? Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, I pray everyone here gathering, myself included, would be convinced and the innermost recesses of our hearts that you love us and you are committed to us. And I pray that knowing that would um, be the very thing that enables us and empowers us to be committed to you and to make hard decisions um, when we have to, to be salt and light and to be your people in this time and place, to be good for goodness sake. Um, not just for our sake, but for the sake of this campus, that it would be beautiful and better um, because of our resolutions. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.